Raising children in times of uncertainty. What to teach our sons and daughters? This is Simon Jacobson. I will be addressing this vital topic that is more important than ever in our trying times. This program is dedicated in honor of all those that need a recovery from the coronavirus. May they be healed speedily and completely and may, they, may everybody be protected and finally eradicate this disease and only come out stronger through this process. As we are locked down and quarantined in our homes, we, for many of us, the great challenge is the fact that we have our families with us, our children. Yes, it's a beautiful thing, but the usual schedule of sending children to school, partnering with the schools in the education of our children, the way it's meant to be, is now been upended. So the pressure of dealing with our children, whether they're studying online or whatever situation they're in, is far more intense. And one of the biggest questions that people are asking, I'm receiving all the time, what do we say to our children? We could continue to maintain, trying to continue to maintain security schedules as much as possible, but it's impossible to uh, ignore and avoid this pandemic, which is affecting every aspect of life. Not just going to school, going out for a trip, different things that children were expecting, the summer's coming, what are our plans? Many, I've spoken to a number of schools and students, many are afraid. They say, what do I do? My parents seem very terrified. And I pick that up. We usually look to our parents for strength, for confidence, for security. So it's critical to really revisit this in a very direct way to address what do we say to our children. And not just the short term from day to day, overall. Now, of course, children are different. Some are younger, some are older. We have to customize whatever it is that we say to them. But it's more than just what we say. What do we project? The attitude. And what do we do when we ourselves are very concerned as adults, as parents? All this I'll hope to address in this program. So overall, very important preface. And that is that every challenge is in essence, an opportunity. When things were rolling smoothly, so to speak, let's just go back, turn the clock back a few months, January, February, or you want to go back to 2019. So we also had the challenge of educating our children. They're in their formative years. They're being shaped. There's a society out there. There's all kinds of influences and forces at work. Many are unhealthy, frankly, Many are superficial, and we want to bring our, our children into this world. We want to give them a fighting chance. We want to give them the resources, the wisdom, the confidence, the strength. That's in regular times. But because the routines are more or less in place, so we have our schedules. We send our children to school, hopefully a good school. They come home, we do homework with them, put them to bed, give them dinner, entertain them. Take them on trips. Now, as in every area of life, there's a laser focus. We're not taking for granted anything because our routines have been disrupted. This includes our relationship with our children. So on one hand, you could say this is a challenge. I'd rather not have this. I'd rather just be like it was a few months ago. We'd all love that. On the other hand, it can also be a tremendous opportunity that's why I use the word revisit, to revisit at the root of what it is that we're really conveying to our children. When things are peaceful and calm, we don't necessarily have to dig deeper. Nothing compels us to dig deeper because things are smooth and our children are also just riding along. But when there's a war, and I mean a war, in this case it's not, thank God, not a war 
in the regular sense, but it's a war, a psychological war, an emotional one, a physical one, to stay healthy, to make sure everyone else is healthy, the unknown. So we're in a state of challenge. We're in an embattled state, in the literal sense of the word. Here, we can either cower in fear and retreat and become paralyzed, or we can say, no, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to teach our children, to teach ourselves, and to project to our children and teach our children how to really be shaped. Because these are times when men and women are shaped. This defines the destiny of people's lives. That's to the extent, the gravity of the situation. And I say that without, an any, without any exaggeration. This is what determines so much about life. Because as our children grow up and will ultimately become independent adults and move into their own, build their own homes and families and move away from their immediate home, they will be facing many challenges. And where are the tools that they gain to face a challenge? Especially if they were sheltered and protected and things were very beautiful. That's a great blessing. But that also has not necessarily given you an opportunity to teach your children what to do with adversity and setbacks. And when things don't go your way, now we have that opportunity. So we can actually turn this into an unprecedented, I would say even an awesome learning experience, training experience on the job. This is not just training, this is it. This is the real thing, life and death. Disruption, uncertainty, the unknown, how our government and our institutions are functioning or not functioning. Everything has been destabilized. This is an opportunity that comes once, perhaps in a lifetime, or once in history even, in how we address it and will never be forgotten by our children. Both ways. If we don't address it the proper way and if we address it the right way, it can shape and will shape how they will deal with all the challenges in their lives. Not just challenges, how they'll deal in general, perspective on life. So again, it's not wanted, it was not invited, we did not ask for this. But now that it's here, it's a beyond opportunity. And that itself is the lesson. Perhaps the first lesson of them all. How adversity becomes an opportunity, a liability becomes an asset. A setback becomes a catalyst for growth. So to make things in a more, in a contained way, in a way that we can structure it, I want to use one key word. Are you a leader or are you a follower? Now you may wonder, what does that have to do with anything? Are you being influenced or are you an influencer? Are you reactive or are you proactive? Are you on the offense or on the defense? And the key thing I want to leave you with, and this is the focus, is this is the opportunity to teach our children to become leaders, not followers. To become influencers, not being influenced by. To be proactive, not reactive. To initiate and not just be passive and wait for something to happen. These lessons will serve them for their entire lives in every given situation, in good times and in challenging times. And indeed, and I am paraphrasing a verse in the book of Malachi, powerful verse that says, the end of that book, the prophet says, and in those days, the hearts of the parents will return through the hearts of their children. Indeed, as we parents rise to the occasion and project and teach our children, and I keep using project, not just teach, not just words, it's also what you do, that in turn will empower us to do what we're teaching our children to do. Because at the end of the day, it's a partnership. It's not what you say, it's what you do. And when we teach our children something, and we ourselves behave that way, that is indelible, that leaves a mark that will forever shape and determine the destiny of our lives and our children's lives. So, being, we're using the word leader. Let's use that as the acronym. Six lessons. 
Six indispensable lessons to teach our sons and our daughters. How to raise them in times of uncertainty. And they are indicated in the six letters of the word leader. Here they are. Number one, long-term thinking. Number two, for L, E of leader. Empower. A, act. D, determine. Determination. The second E, L-E-A-D-E. Empathize. And finally, the last letter R, redeem. Redemption. And these six ideas, these six we'll call them methods, six choices, can be the difference literally between life and death, between light and darkness, between a life where you can control your destiny and not be a victim of circumstances. Now you may say, one second, there's a pandemic raging out there. I can't control that. We're out of control. As I pointed out time and again, you can't control events outside of you, but you can, sure can control everything inside you, your attitude, your mindset, your heart set, your values, what you stand for. That's what we are able to access at a time like this. So let's go through these six. And again, these are things that we are teaching our children, but we're also activating within ourselves because it goes hand in hand. So let's start with long-term. One of the most challenging situa challenges and situations when things are upended, unsettled, or worse, upheaval, is that we get caught up in the moment. And it's completely understood. We feel we're in danger. We may panic. We may get hysterical. We react impulsively. That's the nature of a human being. We're wired that way because for obvious reasons, to protect ourselves. The downside of it, however, is it can blind us from making healthy and good decisions. Because when you panic or you're emotionally overtaken and overwhelmed by a given situation, you make rash decisions that can often cause more problems. When you, just as an example, and I, I don't like using this example, but I'm going to use it. When you rush an a person in an emergency room and they're bleeding, God forbid. The first thing doctors do who have the presence of mind and composure, let's stop the bleeding. We can't start panicking and saying, what's going on? The first thing you have to do is focus and stop the bleeding and then create a strategy and a plan. So obviously there are things that need to be done short term. You can't just wait when the fire is burning right now. Following medical authorities, I'm not getting now into the merits of it all. Quarantining, Masks, protecting ourselves, protecting others. But this is a time where we can teach ourselves and our children long-term thinking. And what that means is not difficult to explain when you pause. And there are many beautiful examples you can give for it. I'll use one. You're watching a film. A film. A film has many frames, many sections, many subplots. But it's one long film. And as you're watching it, you really get intrigued by the story to the point that you even identify with it. There may be an area of the film story, the narrative, that looks like your narrative. And you may smile, it resonates. You may even predict what will happen next because it's your story. But then a twist in the plot happens. Not the way you wanted it. Something, a setback. And usually many of us get shaken by that. But we know it's a film. It's not over yet. A film is made up of many, many frames. It's an unfolding story. And you can use the same analogy as the story of a, in a book. Any story. Wait to continue. See it through. The most important thing to remember in times of upheaval, upheaval is not the end of the story. It's like if someone were to walk in and see an egg cracking and say, oh, terrible, the egg is cracking. It was such a beautiful white oval. And now it's cracking. And then they walk out of the room. They said, something bad is happening. The egg is cracking. And, and you're told, go back into the room. And you look and you see a little chick. A beautiful little chick emerges. 
You see a mother about to bear a child, moaning, crying, groaning in pain. And you say, what terrible, look what's happening. Why don't you help her? See it through. A few moments later, a newborn child. Life is a process. And we can teach this to our children. Unfortunately, due to the comforts, the blessings of our lives, where we felt or feel that we can press a button and get something, we've forgotten the process of life, the journey of life. It's a journey. Nothing is static. Everything is on its way to another place. I remember reading or seeing children had lost a parent tragically. And uh, it's a tremendous trauma, of course. They were out in a farm, and one of their uncles or aunts or caretakers was there with them. And they were all looking at the ground. You know, you look at nature, you see things you don't usually see when you're in pain. And they saw an apple tree. And the apple had fallen off the tree. And at this point, the apple already began rotting. And you can actually see it becoming absorbed by the ground to the point that you can tell and sense that this will soon be sprouting into another tree. So they're able to see that transitionary stage where the apple is not on the tree any longer. It's not yet a new apple tree. It's just turning into a sapling, but you see the apple deteriorating. Now, if you just look at the deterioration, it seems like the end. And this caretaker tells the children in a metaphorical way without having to elaborate. What do we learn, children, from this Everything is on its way to another place. Everything is in transition. A time like this it behooves us to teach that lesson. And there are many examples I gave with a film, with a book, even in people's personal lives, to see it through. So though, yes, there's an upsetting situation, there's an upheaval, there's the upending and disruption of so much that we are so comfortable with, Story's not over. Let's see it through. There's another frame and another frame. And teach them in life, it's always going to be that way. Even when things are great, the story continues. There's, it's like a journey. There's twists and turns and ups and downs and setbacks. A good swimmer navigates through it all. You don't look to fight the difficult times. You ride with it. A bad swimmer is going to try to fight the tide and can exhaust themselves and be hurt. A good swimmer will ride. We ride the waves. That doesn't minimize the pain, doesn't minimize the grief, doesn't minimize the loss. But it gives perspective. And you'd be surprised. You can teach this to children. Children relate to that. See, children, you read a book, you read them a story. They, they understand the idea of a story having sections, having a narrative that is, consists of many details. And even in their own lives, something to talk about. Long-term thinking. What does it do? It does not resolve our media challenge, but allows us to regain our equilibrium, certain level of balance, because, you know, okay, it's a storm, but we're going to ride through it. What it does is, it's the first L, the first letter of the word leader, allows you to become much more proactive instead of reactive. Because you're seeing it's long-term. You're not just reacting to the moment. You need to be prudent. You need to be careful. You need to follow guidelines. But that doesn't take away from understanding a bigger picture. That will soon one day, and hopefully very soon, April will end, May will end, the year 2020, 2021, and the sun will come back out. I mean the metaphorical sense. And this pandemic will end. And with a long-term picture, we will have become greater people. That's tool and method number one, long-term. I'm tempted to add another explanation in the L, but keep it really structured. I should move on to the E, but I'm going to say it anyway. I find this to be critical in both how parents deal with children and how children should be taught, and that is L for listen. Listen to your children. This is a time that we can listen. We're not rushing to work. We're not rushing to other activities. Listen. And teach them how to listen. And I would even say listening allows you to actually look at long term. Because listening means you're not just speaking and just complaining or just venting or expressing 
your reaction. Step back. Listen to the story. Listen to the music even. Listen to the pause. Understand the transition from one paradigm to another. Focus not on the egg, but on the chick. Focus not on the cracks, but on the light that emerges from them. So listen is both, as I said, for parents to children to listen to them, but teach them to listen. Listen to the heartbeat. Listen to the tremors of growth, of movement. Yes, right now, there's a setback, but there's tomorrow, and there's the next day. And after every night, the sun will rise again. And the same thing is metaphorically with our lives. Let's now move to number two, empower. In educating students, children, adults for that matter, there's two ways to educate, in general terms. One is to provide, and even perhaps inundate, the student, the child, with a lot of information. Information, data, facts, important to know. There's another element in education which is far, far deeper and actually the true definition of education. And that is empowerment. Teaching the student, the child, not just the facts, but the methodology. Not just the information, but the way to solve a problem. You don't just give them solutions, you give them the way to solve. Not just data, but personal character development. So education is much more than just the, the conveying, the imparting of facts, data, information. It's empowerment. And how do you see that? How can you know the difference? How do you know the difference between the first type of education and the second? It's very easy to tell. What is the student like when the teacher is no longer there? What is the child like when the parent is not watching? In the first approach, the student may have a lot of information, but they don't have imagination, and they may not have the method to solve a problem. If you told them a solution to this and this problem, great, but what happens if it's a little different problem, or a completely different problem? The, the student and the child is not independently rising on their own. In the second and the latter approach, you're teaching them a method. You're teaching them, not, you're not just giving them fish, you're teaching them how to fish. So even when you're not there, they will use their ingenuity because they've learned methodology. Now that makes sense on a very basic level, but there's something much deeper. Empowerment builds confidence. When you give someone a lot of information, they may think that they know a lot, but as uh, the different thinkers and poets have said, that in our day and age, people read more and more about less and less. People know more and more about less and less. Or another way of putting it is, you may know the price of everything, but the value of nothing. That means you have a lot of facts. You're book smart. But are you emotionally intelligent? You may know a lot of, have a lot of information in you, but you may be clueless. As they say when they describe a computer, is it masculine or feminine? So some say it's feminine, some say it's masculine. The proof that it's masculine is that it has a lot of data, but it's clueless, a computer. So you have a lot of data, but you're clueless about life, about its purpose, and so on, deeper things in life. Empowerment builds confidence. I feel empowered. I feel you've given me the tools to resolve issues. In the first case, in the first instance, I may have a lot of information for you, but then I go out and, and a new circumstance presents itself, a new challenge. I have no clue what to do. What do you think that does? That's disempowering. So all the information actually is deceptive into making you think, I know so much. But when it comes down to it, you can't even solve a simple problem on your own. Empowerment builds confidence. And that's why it's the second letter in what word? Leadership. Being a leader, being proactive, because you have method. So the second method, the second tool to teach our children in these times of uncertainty is empowering them. And you can do this in many ways. You can do little exercises with them. For example, even in, even in game form. You can, for example, just give them like a quiz, questions and answers. 
and then take it to the next level and say, okay, now what would you do in a given situation? And the first stage when you did the training, so to speak, you help them develop that. You know those, uh, I forgot what they're called, anagrams or whatever, they're not really anagrams. They say like, an apple to an orange. What an apple is to an orange, what is a hammer to, for example? You cause them to think of the first, the first relationship and then, and, and then try to apply that to another relationship. In other words, getting them to think critical thinking on their own, finding, discovering a method. Teach them a method and then have them use that method in a different situation that you have not given them the facts or the data, but you've given them the formula, the algorithm. It's a tremendous experience to do that with your children. Besides empowering them, it's also empowering to the adult, the parent. And I can go on, but I think we can all be creative. The key is empowerment, and it always comes down to one litmus test. Is the student, is the child coming away able to resolve an issue that they couldn't resolve before because they learned the method? And you can focus on that. You could say to a child, here, I'm teaching you something. Now, can you do this? So sometimes they just copy exactly what you did. No, I want you to do it a little differently. You teach them to bake a cookie. Fine. Now I want you to bake a muffin. You have to give them more information, obviously. But you're allowing them to take what you taught them and turn it into something that of their own. That, in this time especially, being able to do something that is yours means you're not out of control. You're not a victim. You're not just being swept away by a pandemic out there. Second, no, that's method number two. Let's go to three. Or A, act, action. In times like this, it's very easy, unfortunately, to fall back into a lethargic state. Paralyzed, I'll stay in bed longer. You start hearing negative news. Start shaping your mood. When you act, action, even a small act is an extension of empowerment because you have the power to act. What does that mean? Have your children do something more than once a day. But let's say when you begin in the morning. I've talked many often, very often about the morning prayer, acknowledging my soul. We'll talk about that some more shortly. Thank you for giving me my soul. But then act. Besides the action of prayer, maybe put a coin in a charity box. Maybe get them to text or to call a friend and say, good morning, how are you today? These actions, besides, of course, doing good and teaching us, training us, and training our children to be good people, and our habits should be refined ones, it does something else as well. It turns you into a leader because you've taken initiative. You didn't wait for someone to call you. You didn't wait for something to happen. You acted. Those small acts, even small, have tremendous power. They encourage, they build up, and they reinforce the child, or for that matter, the adult's confidence. Because you've acted. Think of the opposite. When people get power, they can't act. They don't want to make a move. They're afraid, if I do this, I'll be second-guessed, I'll be criticized. Or, I'll make, or, or it's too risky. As they say, the greatest risk is taking no risk at all. But here we're not talking about great risk. We're talking about an action. Teach your children to act. To act kindly. To make a move. You see something, don't wait. Do something about it. Especially in times like this, these come back to feed you even more than you fed it. These acts will come and give you, nourish you with more and more confidence, with more and more strength to deal with whatever challenges is out there. So that's the A of leader. Let's now move to the D. Determine, determination. I remember as a teenager, my parents had one summer, they, they rented a uh, summer home at um, Bell Harbor, New York, Brooklyn. It's on the Atlantic Ocean, a block away from the, from the ocean. So I would go there in the evening for dinner. Sometimes I'd go out to the beach. You know, it was quiet at night. And I remember those formative years of my own teen years, you think about things. 
I was taken, I was amazed. Remember coming from a city boy, I didn't see the water every day. Yes, we saw the water in sinks and in showers, but I mean the natural power of water, an ocean. And I was taken by the waves, the waves, the relentless waves crashing onto the beach. And I literally was up all night until the sun broke, until the dawn broke. I was taken, I was saying to myself, do these, these waves ever go to sleep? Do they ever rest? Do they stop for a while? You know, in your child's imagination, you think, maybe if I stay here long enough, they may stop. And I saw this consistent, like determination, relentless. Now that's how they're wired. That's how they were created. This great mighty ocean that has humbled so many comes to the beach, it gets humbled itself. It crashes on and then almost silence like in a whimper. What was most powerful was that it kept on crashing and crashing. For that, that night I had an epiphany, the epiphany of what can be achieved when you're relentless. And I mean in a healthy form of relentless. The determination. It is a tremendous resource in our lives that we don't access and we don't actualize as much as we should. It's that absolute commitment, the unwavering resolve that I'm going to prevail, that I will make it through. Now, that doesn't mean it's being cocky or being unrealistic and being uh, just delusional because maybe I won't make it this way, I'll make it that way. It's a certain drive. When events around us become shaken up, especially in the context of what's happening now, not just for a few people, the entire world, every institution, every convention, every industry, it is so easy to resign ourselves and weaken our resolve and just retreat. It's those commanders-in-chief, those leaders, that see a setback, not deny it, they're not reckless, you, you, you have to reckon with it, but you do not give up. The story is not over. We're continuing. We will relentlessly continue. Now, how does that translate to parents and children? Well, in many different ways. In things that we do, for example, we have certain ongoing commitments. You uh, are studying once a week. I'm talking about the parent, the adult. So it's easy to just give up. You know what? This is a time for other issues. No, do not stop anything good that you're doing. We're not talking about not listening to the guidelines. We can't go to work. We can't go to public events and so on. But in your own home, on Zoom or other forms, continue and show it. Don't fake it. Let your children see that the good things in your life, you figured out a way to innovate, to improvise, and do it. Even without saying anything, that teaches people things. That teaches children things. They see that you didn't just give up. You didn't just say, okay, you know, it's optional. Something good. Not only did I continue, perhaps I even added and increased. I take myself as an example. Ever since this uh, outbreak, the work I do, the work my team does, Meaningful Life Center, we've, I can't even say tripled, we've completely taken it to another level. And I'm not saying to toot our horn. It's actually what is required in a time like this. That you don't just continue, you become even more determined. That's another feature of a leader. We must teach our children this. And it could be in small things. You know, play time with our friends. Okay, you may not be able to go visit your friends. But that doesn't mean we can't find a way to do the play time online. Let's even add, increase five minutes or ten minutes. You're calling someone who may be in need. You're volunteering to help. Not only are we not stopping, we're going to even increase it. These are all indicators of determination, of determine, to the relentless point. And I think it goes without saying how that is so vital in the leader attitude. So that's the D of leadership, of leader. Let's now go to number five, method number five, E. E for empathize. Now, when it comes to any challenge, let's say two people are, in a, are suddenly in a uh, crisis situation, danger. 
very easy to gravitate to just protecting yourself and your own skin. You know, we get into survival mode to the point that we may even compromise the other person. Hardcore Darwinian Freudian thinkers will say, survival of the fittest, social Darwinism. It's about me, 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 and push comes to shove, I have to take care of myself. And we've seen, unfortunately, how people can behave in dire circumstances. But we also see the nobility that has risen. Reminds me of a uh, little humor doesn't hurt in these times. These two guys go camping. And in the middle of the night, one of them wakes up, he hears a, a bear scurrying about. A bear is not exactly uh, a pleasant uh, encounter in the middle of camping. He wakes up his friend quietly. He says to him, we got to get out of here. There's a bear right outside our tent. And while he's telling his friend, he's tying his uh, sneakers. He's tying his uh, shoelaces. His friend says to him, why are you tying your shoelaces? Do you think you can outrun the bear? He says, I don't have to outrun the bear. I have to only outrun you. This is classic me, me, me. Thinking about your own survival. That's not the behavior of a leader. That's the behavior of a, uh, well, besides a selfish person, it's also the behavior of a follower because it's all about you. It's just about reacting. What does a leader do? A leader empathizes and thinks about the whole situation. Obviously, you have to do what has to be done to protect yourself. But you empathize. You become a kinder person, a more compassionate person. This is what we must teach our children in times like this. It's not a time where We'll just take care of me, you, and our family. Let's call someone who may be in more need, someone who may have a family member that's sick, someone who's been compromised in another way, someone who may not have the same resources we have. Teach your children to empathize in times like this. Empathy is always necessary. Compassion, kindness, giving. But in a time like this, even more so, because it demonstrates that no, we are not succumbing and we're not lowering ourselves to the lowest common denominator of just survival mode. We're becoming greater people, more caring, more giving. The analogy is given of two people. The situation is very cold in the room. There's no heat, very, very cold, freezing cold. So one person does, it gets a very heavy fur coat, a pelts it's called in Yiddish, a pelts, a tzaddik in pelts, a righteous person in a very heavy fur coat. That person is taken care of. He's warm. But no one else is. Then there's the person who lights a little fireplace. He gets warm. She gets warm. Everybody in the room gets warm. And you're not less for it. You're also warm. That's the difference. And many other ways. That's a leader. That's a proactive offense. Not reacting. Not being passive initiating. And finally, we come to the last one called the R of leader, redeem. Redeem. Now, what does that mean? It's really borrowed from a concept in the Kabbalistic thought. I've spoken about this a number of times, but let me explain it in simple English. The concept is called the redeeming of the sparks. Essentially based on a principle extremely eloquent and so empowering you think, talk about empowering, that each of us comes in this world on a mission. We're on a mission. We didn't come by accident. There's a purpose and mission, a unique mission. Talk about empowerment, that is empowering. You're on a unique mission. And what is that mission? It's to redeem the sparks, it's to free the sparks that are there everywhere. What are sparks? They're basically spiritual opportunities. Divine sparks. Nitzutze Gedusha is the word in Hebrew. Holy divine sparks. That in, where each of us is allocated as part of our mission, sparks. The sparks are in the food we eat, in the drinks we drink, in our homes, in our workplace, in the city we live, the people we will encounter and meet in our lives, the places we'll travel to, whether it's now or whenever it is. Bottom line, every, every encounter in your life whether it's with people, whether it's with experiences, whether it's your own personality, is brimming. It's filled with divine spiritual opportunities, waiting to be released. You sit down for a meal, simple meal. You can say, to yourself, well, I have to eat. My body's hungry. I need sustenance. 
That's about your needs. But then we remember the verse. Not on bread alone does a human being live, but on the spark, the divine spark within the bread. There's more than just sustaining yourself. There's a spark. You eat the bread with an intention to elevate it. What does that mean? To use the energy you gain from it to help another person. So now the food, whatever is you're eating, has a, is partnering with you because it's giving you energy to do something positive. God forbid the opposite. If you do something destructive, so then the food has become a partner in crime. That's why there's a Hasidic saying that when a wicked person walks on the cobblestones, the stones cry out, what right do you have to walk on me? I never transgressed. I never defied my divine calling. You did. Why are you walking on me? So the divine sparks, the redemption, redeeming. Think of yourself as a redeemer. And I don't mean that in any, in a very practical way. Wherever you go, you can redeem a situation. You redeem an opportunity. You meet someone. You say something kind. You don't just think, how can I exploit that person? How can I benefit from them? Something that you give. What are you giving? You're redeeming that moment. You're redeeming that encounter, I should say. Every moment in time is a spark. How are you using that moment? Now this, of course, encompasses our lives 24-7. But essentially, that's what we were charged to do, is to redeem. To redeem sparks that are concealed, hidden, sometimes completely obscured, and we don't even see the opportunity. Let's take this pandemic. This pandemic, how does a leader look at a pandemic? Obviously, as I said earlier, with care and caution and following guidelines, prudent. But there's a much deeper, deeper element that everybody can do. A leader takes it to another level. They say, what opportunities do we find in this time? One opportunity, we can communicate now online like never before. We have more time. We can focus on our inner values. We can focus on teaching our children, on the things we love. We now have more time and energy to be able to not be distracted by the superficial external world. I can go on and on. You can transform your whole life. Now, that's looking at this as an opportunity. Those that don't, so then the sparks remain trapped. In what? In our fears, uncertainties. You're watching the news. You keep absorbing all the repeated negativity. What does it do for you? So you're informed by going back. You have a lot of facts. We don't even know if they're facts. No one is even certain about that. It demoralizes our spirit. You're not redeeming. You're actually being, kept, you're being held captive by the news, by events. Redeeming is you take the events and say, okay, there are things I don't control, but there are things I do. Right now, I can do something. I can be more charitable. I can be more kind. I can be more compassionate. I can reach out. This you can teach your children. We're going to eat a meal. Everyone eats breakfast, lunch, dinner. Think about the meal. Be deliberate. Here's a piece of food. Now just don't take it in your mouth. Make a blessing on it. Pause. Reflect. This food is now becoming part of your flesh and blood. What are you going to do with the energy? How are you going to redeem it? And whatever situation you're in, you're looking to create some redeeming. Your room your friends, your connections. So it's no surprise, the concept of redemption. We hear about the global redemption or personal redemption. In Hebrew, the word geula, Mashiach, the person that leads to that redemption, the redeemer, the anointed one. This is not just words. They sound a little archaic and biblical perhaps, but let's translate, redeeming. You're redeeming opportunities in situations that may have looked like not opportunity. You ever see people who are really good at finding opportunities? They see things no one else sees. Everyone else may see, no, a, 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 see a dead end, and they will see an opportunity. Remember when Ronald Reagan was president? They say he was the royal optimist, the analogy given. He himself gave the analogy, I believe. What was the analogy? A farm boy, one of these jolly farm boys, walks into a barn to uh, where the, the horse is there. And he sees the barn is filled with manure from floor to ceiling. So what would most people say? And what does the barn boy say? There must be a pony in here somewhere. There's always an opportunity. 
even when things are very challenging. And we can't even see where the opportunity is. But we believe it, we trust it, and we do whatever we can to elicit it, to extract it from the situation. We're seeing today, we're witnessing tremendous acts of kindness, of nobility, of giving, of volunteerism, people risking their own lives to help others, the medical community, the emergency medical community. These are people who are redeemers. They're redeeming a situation. They're not just saving a life, which of course that alone is worth it all. But they're going further. They're taking a negative and turning it into a positive. We're so moving to see. I, I'm not sure if they're still doing it. The applause, the standing ovations people were getting at 6 p.m. or whenever it was in New York and other cities around the world, all for the health workers who were doing things to help and save lives. This is a time like no other for redemption, for redeeming. Now, in truth, it's always there. But as going back, when things are calm, the surface takes over. You don't recognize, you don't even dig to see what forces are brewing beneath the surface. What spiritual subatomic particles are waiting to be released. But when there's a challenging situation, as the Talmud puts it, when the olive is squeezed, that's when it produces oil. We're all being squeezed now. Everyone in different ways. It could be due to the change of routine. It could be due to the loss of a job, the fear of loss. It could be health. Many ways, different ways. We're being squeezed. Squeezing can bring the worst out of you. You know, you just start yelling, well, I don't want to be squeezed. Or it can bring the best out of you, your oil. This we must teach our children. And use examples. Maybe take an olive or a grape and show our children and let them, let them use their methodology. Let them use their imagination. Say, what's happening here? Why, when I press it, does it produce? And when I don't, it just sits there. Use examples. There are plenty of them. So many exercises to express and teach our sons and daughters and ourselves to become, from a follower, a leader. Long-term empowerment, action, determination, empathy, empathize and redeem. You take these six lessons and on a consistent basis every day, and not in a uh, forced way, in a natural way, focus on them, you tell me what the results will be. Our children and ourselves will come away being far more positive, far more optimistic, far more progressive, forward-thinking, proactive, all the ingredients necessary for being able to forge ahead and not succumb and be weakened by an upheaval, no matter how big it may be. But above all, with all these tools, we really want to get out of this place. But we need to become people who are not part of the problem, but part of the solution. Ask yourself that. Ask your children. Tell your children, we are not part of the problem. We're going to become part of the solution. Now, the child will say, one second, are we doctors? We're going to find the vaccine? That, everyone has their role. We'll find the spiritual vaccine. We'll find the psychological, emotional one. We're going to do things proactively, like, leader, like a leader does, that's going to find, yes, comfort, strength, hope, courage. Turn it into a family project. You will see unbelievable results transformation that when this finally ends and we move on with our lives we will have been transformed in a positive way because we've done things in these challenging times that elicited deeper resources within us within our children and yes indeed our children will give us much to be proud of and the hearts of the parents will return through the hearts of the children because when you extend yourself and you project and you need to give in that way it comes back as well. May God bless you all. May we all be protected. May everyone be healed, whoever needs the healing. May this period in history, in time, serve as testimony for generations to come of what a human race did as they rose, this human spirit rose to the occasion. Share this with others. That's a proactive move. 
Don't just take it in for yourself. Share. Send us your suggestions. We're partners. Meaningfullife.com is our website. There you can find a full array of resources, programs, especially the ones we've been creating the last few weeks. You can subscribe to our daily spiritual antidote. It's a three-minute video or podcast that you can receive on any of your carriers, podcast carriers, that is meant to counter and a counter-offensive for all the negative news we're hearing and the negative energy. Every day, a positive boost, an antidote of getting to know ourselves better, accessing those inner resources, exercises. Easy to subscribe to. Just go to our site, MeaningfulLife.com. You can get it in your WhatsApp. You can get it in your email. You can get it in, in YouTube, on Facebook, Instagram, all the channels. Above all, stay strong. Stay confident. Please stay in touch. We're here for you. And please, don't hesitate. Any suggestions, any questions, any challenges. Nothing is off limits. Nothing is taboo. Please share. This is a time that even when we're socially distant, we're soulfully closer than ever. Socially distant, soulfully closer. Because souls are not affected by distance of time and space. A heart can feel a heart. A heart can speak to a heart. Words from the heart enter the heart, whether it's through camera, through broadcast, through audio. And we will be reunited, that we can come back and see each other physically, be close to each other physically, but then it will be infused with the spiritual closeness, warmth, and connectedness that lies at the heart of who we are. One large organism with so many diverse elements to discover the harmony within that diversity. Thank you very much. Again, MeaningfulLife.com. This program is a Wednesday. Wednesday is scheduled every Wednesday. It goes live. And then is of course, archived. But we have many other programs. You can go to MeaningfulLife.com, look at our calendar, participate, and, and let us all be empowered. Be well and be strong. Thank you so much. This program is brought to you by the Meaningful Life Center. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at MeaningfulLife.com slash donate.